Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Torah Shack podcast. Just a few things before we kick off. First of all, I want to thank everybody who came out on Sunday evening to the Sugar Club for the podcast for Palestine. It was an amazing and emotional night and I'm putting together the audio for that right now and it will be available for our members on patreon.com forward slash Torah Shack as soon as I can get the edit done. So if you're a member, keep an eye on your feed and if you're not, please join us. Throw us the price of fancy cup of coffee once a month, and for that you'll get all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed. You'll never miss a pod, and they're entirely plea-free, so you don't have to listen to me beg. But unfortunately, this is the situation we're in. We've no ads, we've no sponsors. We rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep this independent media platform going. I think if nothing else, the last few months have demonstrated that independent media actually really matters and can punch way above its weight. And as I often say, we are pretty much the bottom rung of the Irish media ladder, but we have to start somewhere. So please click the link, it says patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack and see if there's a level that suits your budget that helps keep conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. Thanks, now enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Palcast. Today is Tuesday, January um, 30, and it's uh, 4 p.m. here in Zurich. Uh, we're joined by a very uh, special uh, guest, Helena and Tony, uh, our friend uh, Lake Alcott, who has been living in uh, Switzerland and on Zurich for, for many years, since uh, 1973. And um, I mean, aside from being originally from Oklahoma, he sounds to be a very um, good guy with uh, sound politics on Palestine, and he's been very active with Cafe Palestine. So very glad to, to have him here from Zurich and uh, to talk uh, on Palestine. And in, in fact, he invited me to talk about uh, Gaza and Palestine uh, just um, last Sunday, and uh, it was a, a very good crowd here. And we also spoke about Rifat al Arir and read his. Uh, poem if uh, i must die um helena and tony and of course Blake, very uh, glad to have you today uh hello all of you um as yusuf said i think he meant in spite of being from oklahoma i have good politics i think that's what he was actually trying to say and we say oklahoma is a good place to be from Politically speaking, so um, just very quickly on uh, Switzerland. Um, well, our Cafe Palestine, which happens once a month, invited Yusuf to speak about Gaza. And on Sunday night, he did that. And for two hours, we had a full house packed. And for two hours, people didn't budge. You know, it was really... Very, very interesting. And um, we have, Palestine has absolutely zero support amongst pol politicians and the press in Switzerland. There's maybe one politician from Geneva who is fairly good, and otherwise nobody sticks up for the Palestinians. And the mainstream press is sub-Guardian. It's worse than the Guardian. It's very bad. 
So, yeah. Okay. Thank you, um, Blake, for, for this um, introduction. And maybe we will go to, to Helena and she, she can tell us more about, you know, being from Oklahoma and uh, <laughs> being in the States these days. What's happening over there? Well, you know, uh, first of all, if you're a Native American person, probably you have a different view of Oklahoma. Um, I was just watching the movie um, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is really terrifying about the attacks that the settlers launched against the indigenous people there. So, you know, Blake being from Oklahoma and me being originally from, from England, we do n understand, I hope, quite a bit about the... the, the um, crimes and sins of white settler colonialists. And I'm sure Tony will have a, a word or two to say about that later. Um, here in the United States, actually, the popular movement in favor of a ceasefire and in favor of, of Palestinian rights is ways stronger than I've ever seen it. And it's starting to put real pressure on, on President Biden because, you know, Michigan, for example, it's a swing state. And it's full of Arab Americans. And like the, the mayor of Dearborn, Michigan, who is an Arab American, refused to meet with, with President Biden when he wanted a photo op with him. So there, there will be, you know, a lot going on in American politics that will be more interesting than, than usual. Um, that's just my quick take. But, um, Yusuf, tell us what you've been hearing from, from your family in Gaza. Yes, so my family decided to go back uh, home, uh, although it's very risky and bombing is all over the place. In fact, bombing has been intensifying in Gaza City and the north, as well as in the south, including in Nusayarat, where my family lives. Um, dozens of people were killed in a single airstrike that targeted a journalist in my town uh, just two days ago, uh, but still more people are going back home because they are sick of being displaced. Um, the situation is very catastrophic. People do not have access to clean water or food or anything. Uh, but at least they say, you know, we go back to our homes. We have uh, some sort of uh, protection from rain and, you know, the cold weather. Um, a lot of people are displaced in, in, in Rafah. And now Israel has divided um, Rafah from Khan Yunis. So, and they have installed uh, cameras and facial recognition technology, and they're arresting people and uh, humiliating them and forcing them to uh, say specific slogans uh, in support of Israel so that they would let them move further further south to, to, to Rafah. Um, generally, the situation in, in the central area of Gaza Strip um, has been, you know, getting worse, uh, but it's still better than that of Khan Yunus and Rafah. And that's why hundreds of people decided to go back to their homes, including uh, my family. A lot of people are sick. Um, 700,000 people have diseases, either skin diseases or flu, and including my sister. Um, but again, there is no access to medical care, unfortunately. Gosh, it, it just sounds so terrible to have all this news coming out in real time. Um, I, I do want to give a little note of optimism. By the time people hear this, well, if, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, 
there is going to be a United Nations Security Council meeting, an emergency meeting called on Wednesday by the uh, the chair the chair of the UN Security Council for January is Algeria. And so they are calling this special meeting um, in order to give binding effect to the ruling of the uh, International Court of Justice last Friday, which I think is really interesting because it sounds as though there's quite a movement to push for a, a strong ceasefire resolution or a strong humanitarian aid resolution that will force, I would hope, the U.S. person, um, ambassador, whatever her name is, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, either to vote for the resolution or to cast another veto. And for the U.S. right now, which is under, you know, in a state of, of tension and conflict all across West Asia, to, to be casting a veto at the Security Council would be a huge thing. So, you know, I, I, I just think that's a little bit of hope from, from the U.N. Who knows? Of course, the Israelis are continuing their attacks on the UN in every way that they can. Although it was the United Nations that gave Israel its birth certificate in 1947. Go figure. Just, just, I don't want to be, again, here I am, misery guts, but um, <laughs> my, my, my friend in The Intercept, John Schwartz, literally posted 13 minutes ago on The Intercept, will the US block the ICJ's uh, UN resolution on Gaza? It's thwarted the court before. And that's, and that's so Helena, he seems to feel that they will go and, uh, um, and, and block whatever happens tomorrow in the resolution. But again, I know, I understand it's up to, it's up to debate. Can I come back to, um, I'd like to ask Blake a question, if you don't mind. Blake, the idea that there's only one politician who has any kind of um, any kind of pro-Palestinian uh, stance in 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 Switzerland is there uh, is so there's so there's so there's literally does that mean that the electorate is all is as well overwhelmingly in favour of Israel is you know is it overwhelmingly in favour of Israel as well because no no so no again I think you have this big divide between the politicians and the press on the one side and the people on the street. I mean, I wear, I wear my badge and almost every reaction is positive on the street and I get free coffees in coffee shops and stuff. So I think it's the same as all over. The, the politicians are just terrible and the people, friends of mine also in England, can vouch for the fact that compared to 10 or 15 years ago, it's like night and day. The people on the streets, they pretty much know the story by now. I mean, it's really, yeah, things have really, really changed. Yeah, so the, so the people, and so I, the streets are with Palestine, even if the business, and it's the business community and the political community. Let's tell the truth here. It's corporate democracy. Yeah, it's the same way over here. But Helena, could I ask you a question? Do you think Rashida Tlaib will have any trouble uh, in the primary, in the Democratic primary? Because I worry that somehow the Zionists will shoot down those few U.S. Congress people who are really on the right side. I'm worried about that. Well, you know, um, Congresswoman Tlaib um, has a lot to fear right now not just you know being primaried by the zionists i mean she has constant uh, you know threats on her life and her family's well-being 
So, you know, we should all keep her in our thoughts. I think that um, she is, they will quite likely put up a primary opponent to her and, and put a lot of money into that. But I think her support has been pretty solid from Dearborn. Um, And, you know, she's done a great job of reaching out to African-American and all kind of constituencies around there. Um, Who knows? It's, you know, it's a long slog for us who are, you know, living and and active here in, in the United States. But it's fascinating for the first time to see Biden apparently, you know, really under some pressure from his own fundraisers, his own organizers, um, to to deal with this thing, and there's not no easy way for him to deal with this crisis over you know the uh, the attacks in um, Jordan. He's promised to to launch a a um, a serious deterrent counter attack, but th- there is no good military option for him. I was listening to some commentary here yesterday on NPR and they were saying, oh, we have to send a strong message to Iran. We have to send a message to Iran. I was like, pick up the phone and talk to them. You know, that's how you deliver a message. Not by not by threatening with missiles and guns and sanctions and Ugh, we did. There was know. there was an Iran deal, and they and they backed out of it. And then when they got when you know they blamed Trump for that, but then they got back into government, and they didn't go back towards yeah, the Iran deal. He he kept that up. I mean, he kept up all the uh, Trump policies, including you know recognizing the Israeli annexation of East Jerusalem and the Israeli annexation of Golan. You know, he could have walked away from all three of those policies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, the U.S. was among the first countries to withhold funding to UNRWA based on Israeli allegations that some uh, people working for UNRWA in Gaza participated in the October 7 um, attacks. And I mean, this is just horrifying. Yusuf, can, UNRWA... I, can, I, can I ask you two questions on that? And, and it's, yes. it's related to that. One, do you think that they've used that two ways now, Israel? They've used that to deflect from the judgment of the ICJ. Do you, do you believe that's true? And then the second thing is, do you think they're actually they're doing this now as a collective, as a form of collective punishment? Because they've really ramped up some of the, there was talks of, you know, remember, the, I think it was the New York Times said, oh, this, the, the rate of killing has slowed down. Well, the rate of bombing has gotten worse since the ICJ. So, you know, is that, is that, Am I just am I just playing armchair general, or do you think that's there's some 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 truth there? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, you know their strategy is to create another crisis so that to to cover a former crisis, uh, so that you know they keep us busy with um, a new agenda. We no longer talk about talk about the ICJ. Now we talk about UNRWA, mm-hmm. uh, and let's assume this is true. Uh, UNRWA has people who have different political affiliations, and UNRWA serves millions of people, millions of Palestinian refugees. Uh, it's there because the question of Palestinian refugees was not resolved. Uh, I would vote for dismantling UNRWA if Palestinian refugees are allowed to go back home. So this is the way to 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 handle the issue, not to cut funds amid this genocide. The ICJ said there are clear evidence that Israel is committing genocide. And, you know, instead of supporting Palestinians who are being starved in Gaza, including in the north of Gaza, a lot of people sleep hungry every day. 
they're cutting funds uh, to to UNRWA. This is horrifying, and not just like you know UNRWA that UNRWA operates not only in Gaza, in the West Bank, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan, wherever Palestinian refugees live. Uh, so this is collective punishment, definitely. And on the other hand, did they do that to to the Israeli army? Did they sanction the Israeli army? Although there are evidence and documented evidence that Israeli soldiers committed war crimes, and it was these if this evidence was presented before the ICJ, uh, but they never did that. They did the exact opposite. They provided Israel with with. Uh, more weapons. Uh, what What do you think? Just, just another thing. Switzerland also has suspended funding for UNRWA, I think just yesterday, for this same group of people who allegedly, uh, what, worked with Hamas, their employees, or fought with Hamas. So that's the typical reaction in Switzerland. Suspended, maybe in the end, they will give UNRWA half of what they used to give. The thing that disappoints me about my own country, Switzerland, because I became a Swiss citizen, is I just thought of it because of what Yusuf just said about the double standard. And that is, here you've, we've been able to notice press and politics, a Jewish life is worth much more than a Palestinian life. Uh, you can just see it in all the reporting. It's the, the terrible things that happened to the Israelis get 100 times more attention than the massacres against the Palestinians. And, you know, both are, both are bad. People are people. But the bias and the, that shows me that there's a racism in Switzerland that I wasn't that aware of. Maybe I'm stupid or naive, but I've re- it's hit me in the head since 7th of October that what the what people really care about here are Israelis, we, we, not Arabs. We see it in Europe. I think the biggest example of it in Europe is the Ukraine conflict. And you've, we've spoken about this before. You know, Ireland took in 75,000 Ukrainian refugees, gave them work visas and access to all, you know, education, health health services, and all of the all of the services we, we, we um, extend to, to individuals. And then... And then the other night, on Sunday night, I met a young man from Gaza who was sleeping in a tent on the streets of Dublin because he has yeah. to go through the asylum process. Be- yeah. And he's, but if, you know, if he'd been Ukrainian, we would have been under an obligation to house him. So it's it's very. And again, I don't want to. Of course, we should house Ukrainians. I shouldn't be playing one after the other. We should be able to try this. But if we're going to do it for one, we must do it for all. Well, yeah, we certainly see that here in the United States, where when the Ukrainians were coming up through the border, you know, almost two years ago now, when that crisis started, they were just kind of whisked to the front of the line. And there there were pictures of these slightly middle class looking women with their little dogs, you know, and their, and their little um and, and they just went right through. And then the of as we see, the hundreds of thousands of people from Central America who, you know, are just forced to wade through mud and and climb through through mountains and many of them die along the way and then frequently they get shot at the border. So, you know, is a hu- is one human life worth the same as another human life? Yes, of course it is. And the Gaza crisis is showing us the biases in the present system. And I think also it's important to highlight that uh, for the past two days, Israel has been 
been bombing the north of Gaza uh, non-stop, killing dozens of people, and they are recapturing, reoccupying uh, some neighborhoods in the west of, of, of Gaza. Again, Tal uh, Hawa, Sheikh Radwan, they're sending their troops back. Uh, on one, you know, uh, hand, they were drawing some troops, but they're also recapturing some uh, neighborhoods and asking people in the north of Gaza again to evacuate those who stayed in, in the north of Gaza despite all odds, asking them to evacuate uh, to, to Deir al-Balah. So it's never over. People are starving there, but they're being killed again. In fact, I heard back from a friend of mine who has a PhD in, in water engineering that he was captured by the Israeli army and that they almost executed him and they released him just two days ago. Oh my gosh, some of these pictures that you see of, you know, the detainees, they just continue to be horrifying. And and to to its credit, CNN has started to air some of these pictures. But I, since we're talking about, you know, Israeli violations and bad Israeli actions, um, I think we have uh, two other things that we need to note today. One is um, this terrible conference that was held yes. in Jerusalem on on Sunday by the right-wing people who are part of Netanyahu's government, including Itamar Ben-Gavir and Smotrich and, and all the rest of them. Thousands of people there talking about their plans to rebuild the Israeli, the always illegal Israeli settlements in Gaza. And, you know, dancing with joy at the prospect. And Netanyahu not doing one thing to, you know, throw them out of his government or to dissociate himself from their their program. Actually, um, I was talking with a friend who was saying, you know, um, it's great to see the opposition to to Netanyahu that's been arising. You know, there has been a little bit of anti-war, pro-ceasefire demonstrations and, and, you know, marches by people calling for the release of the hostages and so on. But actually, the pressures on Netanyahu that he has been actively building up are much more from the right-wing settler extremist point of view than they are from the left-wing anti-war, pro-ceasefire point of view. And we saw that, for example, at the Kerem Shalom um, crossing, where there were these people who claimed to be the families of some of the hostages, and they had big Israeli flags, and they were saying, you know, we can't let the humanitarian aid go into Gaza so long as the Gaza people are, are holding our hostages. And they've actually, you know, held up the the trucks for, for I think, two days. They, boast, they boasted the trucks... about doing it. They boasted that they were going to slow yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to see, I want to be a few important quotes what you said about this ultra, ultra right-wing um, uh, conference, ultra-nationalist. That is the government. That is Netanyahu's government because he he may not be a member of that of that wing of it, but he certainly co co-tails to them all the time. And, you know, we see that the, the most, the most uh, critical comment came from Benny Gantz who said it would hurt Israel's standing abroad and would compromise efforts to bring about a hostage release. And he's he's right, because if you're Hamas, you're not giving back your the hostages if you're if you're thinking they're actually going to do forced migration that they're talking about at this conference. If they're saying we're going to have settlements in Gaza, if they're saying that, you know, we will be taking back the land, all of these statements, you're not going to actually negotiate with people who are saying these things without being told by the, the prime minister 
you know, without even being told by the prime minister, shut up, don't be saying this. You know, you know, like if, you know, they're saying it in plain sight. And again, back to it, they're playing, saying it in plain sight, and everybody just sort of shrugs and says it's okay. So yes. it's so frustration. It's so frustrating. Tony, but the U.S. government said they do not share the same position. <laughs> These uh, ministers uh, in, the, in the Netanyahu government uh, vis-a-vis the re-occupation of Gaza. Do you think this is enough? <laughs> oh, they said it, did they? They said it. And then what did they do? I think I think Yosef is being a bit yeah. sarcastic. <laughs> but I wanted, I just wanted to ask, go back to U.S. politics for one tiny thing. What do you think about Cornell West? From where I stand, he's the only person over there running for president who is good on Palestine. But what does that mean? I mean, obviously he's not going to get many votes, but he, he could siphon off enough Democratic votes to hurt Biden in a big way, as could Kennedy, as could, uh, what's her name? St- uh, Ju- Stein. Jill Stein. First- Stein. Just- Okay, just that last thing about president's presidential election and Cornell West. I'm personally curious about that. Yeah, I saw Cornell West not long ago. He's a great, you know, he's a he's a great um, orator in the tradition of like black churches in this country, and his values are amazing. Um, he he may be able to siphon off a little bit of support from the Democratic Party, but I think more importantly, he he raises he, he's like a, a kind of a a moral um, stone in your shoe that that like you have to pay a little bit of attention to him and and I think that's his function regarding the the Democratic Party. I personally, you know, as an American voter, Blake, I'm very like upset at the the fact that we're going to have to make a choice between Joe. Genocide and Biden and and uh, Donald Trump and actually since I live here in the in the District of Columbia I don't have the right to vote you know meaningfully anyway um, so it doesn't matter yeah. that much but yeah it's a tough tough call it's yeah. the worst it's the worst choice ever that's it it's it's uh, the, the we're seeing this play out all over like like Trump is the guy who you know said recognize um, put the put the U S embassy in Jerusalem. You know, like he's the, these are the, he's done, he's been the, he was a very pro Israel president and Biden has, has just been diabolical. Like di- Joe Biden yeah. is, is culpable in what's been happening. Um, but I, 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 I've listened to a lot of Cornell West over the years and he, I think he's, I think Helena, you're right. He's a fabulous orator. But again, the fear is like, again, what is it? I was talking to a university professor in Colorado and he described the US presidential election as the sleeper versus the creeper. And it's a, it's a, it's a kind of ugly way to say it, but it's kind of true. Um, Yus- Yusuf, can yeah. I ask about the West Bank and the incredibly, um, audacious killing of three Palestinian men in the hospital in Janine? Um, I want to be, I want to just say one thing on this. First of all, Israel are saying, that they were a Hamas terrorist cell, uh, but that has been denied. But they were saying they were receiving treatment. Do you, irregardless of that, this is an extrajudicial killing. If that's the case, anyway, you've just gone into a hospital and killed three people. Absolutely, uh, I think one of them was uh, a Hamas member. But this doesn't justify breaking into a hospital 
you know, wearing civilian clothes and breaking into um, a hospital, as I said, and killing three people inside the hospital, including a person who was on his hospital bed. He was uh, recovering from previous injuries. This is a war crime, and it's on camera. Uh, it's all over the internet. People have watched that. They're shocked, but as Palestinians, we're not shocked because Israel always did that in, in the past. They, they broke into hospitals. They arrested people. Uh, they killed people. Uh, and we've seen how, what they've done you know, to, to Gaza hospitals. So they, they care less because the, the world allowed them to do this to Gaza hospitals. Now they're moving to the West Bank and they're targeting people at hospitals. They, they, you know, they do not feel like there's uh, implications for their actions. And I, I think this is a documented war crime. Uh, but again, Israeli uh, forces, politicians care less and they will continue to commit more crimes against Palestinians, unfortunately. Um, I think uh, if, if you do not have uh, anything to, to add, uh, Helena and, and Antoni, we could um, conclude here today. And uh, I would like to thank Blake for joining us. Um, Don't uh, thank me. Uh, today from Zurich. And of course, I would like to thank my co-host, Helena Coben, the uh, president of Just uh, World Educational. And, uh, of course, our great producer, Tony Groves, who, who joined us uh, from Dublin. Um, uh, one last reminder to, to our great listeners that this podcast is, is brought uh, to you thanks to the co-sponsorship of the Hashim Sani Center for Palestine Studies at the uh, University of, of Malaya. I'm looking forward to speaking about more uh, topics uh, related to Gaza and Palestine. Uh, over the, the next weeks. Uh, but again, I would like to reiterate our position of calling for an immediate ceasefire uh, in Gaza without any preconditions.